0: Hello again, welcome to On Mike with Jordan Rich, where conversation with creative people is alive and well. Conversation with people who have something to say. Joining us today is Peter Altschul. Peter was born totally blind, but that hasn't stopped him from living a full life as a musician, as a musician, an educator, a trainer, a parent, a mediator, and workplace diversity specialist. He's published two books of short essays titled Riding Elephants, Creating Common Ground Where Contention Rules, along with Breaking It Down and Connecting the Dots, Creating Common Ground Where Contention Rules, as well as his memoir, Breaking Barriers, Working and Loving While Blind. Whenever I can slice out some time on this podcast, to talk about bringing people together as opposed to forcing them apart, I am up for the task. And with the help of folks like Peter Altschul, that task is a whole lot easier. So let's do it and welcome Peter Altschul. Peter, let's have you share with us a bit of the, your your bio, if you don't mind, because I laugh out loud when I read it. <laughs> Not making fun of you. I love the way you wrote it. Tell us, what's, what's it about? Well,
1: uh, uh, basically, I was born for... I was born totally blind for reasons that nobody really knows. And uh, I attended throughout my educational thing. I attended, uh, schools where I was the only blind person, uh, in high school. I was, I did a number of things. I was in the, uh, marching band, uh, which I was quite successful at. I was at the wrestling team, which I was quite unsuccessful at. Uh, and, um, I spent a good deal of time trying to prove to everybody that I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, an intellectual egghead. So I, uh, you know, uh, I didn't drink too much, but I uh, pretended I didn't do homework. But I ended up getting into Princeton anyway, where I, um, uh, as I I think I said, I I, I drank beer, uh, did a lot of musical stuff, and studied um, music and psychology. And and then I ended up doing a number of things um, career-wise, ranging from, Being a customer service rep at the most hated federal government agency, uh, to being a grants manager, to doing a lot of work in the diversity and inclusion arena, to being a a step-parent of three kids, uh, um, to doing lots of musical stuff, all with the assistance and quirkiness of uh, now seven guide dogs. Um, I should also say that one of the things I did that was most interesting career-wise was encouraging pro-life and pro-choice activists to find common ground and find things they could work on on the, related to the abortion issue, which really was was the was the career uh, job that really had the most influence in my professional growth.
0: Timing is absolutely everything. This is a recorded podcast, but we're recording this the morning after, and this is unprecedented. A leaked document from the Supreme Court having to do with Roe versus Wade, and and the reactionaries on both sides of the issue are going bananas, so I want to get more into the work you did in that area because it's it's a hot-button thing. But uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the work in question here, which is riding elephants, creating common ground where contention rules. Boy, could we use a little help in that regard. I'm a big fan of elephants, first of all. Why did you choose elephants as the allegory?
1: I chose elephants because I read a book back in 2012 by a, a social psychologist named Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T, and his, his um, allegory, if you were, were elephants uh, where, who were that – he, that, he, that he characterized intuitions, which I changed to feelings, and that our responsibility was to be better elephant writers, which was to control our feelings so that mm-hmm. they were being used for good. And um, he went on to talk about politics, and I went on to talk from my background as a sort of a social psychologist um, myself. But there are politics involved with my book, but there's also lots of other stuff uh, in my book. And and basically, the book talks about in various aspects of our life how we how we can be better elephant writers. Uh, so that really is how the, the book came came to be. Thanks thanks to Jonathan. I will always
0: appreciate yeah. him. Well, He's
1: also a very good writer. My connection
0: with The Elephants is uh, based on some documentaries I've seen and, and just general interest in how they tend to their young. They mourn their dead. Uh, they're very docile in many respects, so very dangerous in others if they need to defend themselves. But uh, very and, and- lovely allegory, I think.
1: And, and that was,, uh, as I did the research to write that uh, uh, the the first article in the book, I discovered the same kinds of things. And it was it just seemed like a really apt image. So uh, we
0: agree on that the The book is comprised of of topics and essays ranging from the work and love you've had with the dogs in your life, the guide dogs and pets and so forth to politics it's such a an important area in this crazy sort of media frenzied world and i'm just wondering as as you have grown through your life and by the way you you're very self-deprecating you got to princeton nobody just fakes it to get into princeton so knock it off but (laughs) you've seen a lot of changes just before we get into some of these issues from a uh, frenetic sort of media-driven culture kind of way, where were you, let's say, when you were in college compared to today? Where were we? Because it seems as though everybody is jumping immediately on the gun and then the whole world knows your opinion.
1: Well, it was, it was a more innocent time, I think, you know, when I was in college. Yes, we talked about the hot-button issues, but we spent most, most of our time just having a good time. You know, uh, 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 I have many fond weekends of... Uh, um, talking about sports in the uh, place where there the, were a keg was was available you know that's uh, that 's a lot of what I did during my my downtimes um, and of course, doing some dating and all that as well, although not that much of it in college um, you know we we just didn 't get excited about politics very much i mean there were some of it that went on and and there were some demonstrations and so on and so forth but and we and I certainly got into political discussions, but it wasn't nearly as venomous as it is now. Uh, and ironically, uh, I tutor students, student athletes at the University of Missouri, mm-hmm. and they don't want to talk about politics because they just don't want to get involved with with, with the with with the conflict with the heat. They do, you, do everything they can to yeah. avoid conflict. Uh, you know, a, a talk about politics, and you know. So I'll talk to a person about writing a paper, and they'll say something like. I really would like to write about, uh, you know, uh, uh, drugs and sports, but that's too controversial. I don't want to write about that. It's, It's too risky for my academic thing. I'm going to write about something less less uh
0: controversial your your work I, so, is i was gonna say your work to me seems very much more broad-based in the human sense in that you're looking at what really makes us tick and i i'm of the opinion that there is a small coterie of i'm going to call them nasty players who gin up a lot of this anger who really do are they're experts at it and uh we could name names but we don't need to go there but you, you know what i'm talking about uh, rabble rousers they light the fire and then they uh, throw the can of gasoline, and then they hide in the bushes. It seems that's what's no, happening in my in my view.
1: I think that's right, but it, but because of social media and other things, we are more susceptible to being burned than we were uh-huh. uh, uh, forty years ago. I agree with you, um, but one of the things that is that we are as society less cohesive. Our institutions aren't as strong as they were back in the eighties, nineties, seventies, even early two thousands. And um, so we are much more endangered by th- these flamethrower throwers, as you call them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, th- I think that's really kind of a scary time.
0: So you've taken life experience and professional experience, Peter, as a trained psychologist and as, as an observer of the world, and you've written down some thoughts. Um, is there one overriding message that the book, in your estimation, conveys? Well,
1: I say in the book, or one of the first things I say in the book, is feelings, not thoughts, drive action. Feelings are are the energy behind our actions, and we forget that at our own peril, or don't realize it at our our own peril. And um, we spend a lot of time saying they are driven by their feelings, and we aren't. No, we are all driven by our feelings, Mm. and some of us are better at, at managing them than others. Uh, for me, that's, that's the thing that, that I think you know, is, is, the, is the thing that I think of most frequently. And the, the book in many ways starts with that premise and, and goes from there. So uh, another, another uh, article in the early part of the book has this idea of sometimes we're having these conversations with people that we're really trying to, to, to connect with, and it's not working. And we're both doing our best. And what's often happening is that one person spoke speaking on what I call the thoughts channel,
0: hmm.
1: and one person speaking on the feelings channel. And if we don't recognize that, all our best efforts are going to, are going to, are going to, uh, fall away in frustration. And, you know, it's something we need just need to be aware of and, and learn to be right. better at at, do, at doing.
0: Yeah, and that's where the communication skill sets that have uh, you'd think would be natural have, have gone by the wayside for many people. It has to do with a whole bunch of things. We don't need to get into every reason, but if people only stopped to listen. And one of the things that I love about your work, you are, in in my estimation, a patient person, even if you're ticked off (laughs) you 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 get a chance to breathe and isn't that what's important uh, to stop and and as they say don't press send before you think
1: i think that's really important but again what 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 prompts that wanting to send send so quickly and the answer is your feelings Mm -hmm. and so you know the, the goal is to be able to say okay is this really what i your thought is this really what i want to send sometimes it might be what you want to send you know there may be a really good you know for whatever reason but often you know one of the advice that people say is think you know think for 10 seconds before you before you get send or think for overnight sometimes it really does make a difference. So thank you for that kind word about my patience. People, some people, not sure that they agree with <laughs> you, but, but but I but I, I appreciate the, the kind
0: words. We met uh, actually on a digital Zoom presentation that I was invited to make just in general about radio. And I, you and I sort of connected uh, virtually at that point. And I sensed you have a curiosity about people and things. And that's also something I think that helps us break through the barriers and find common ground. What's your take on on the lack of curiosity or the need to be more curious and interested?
1: I think people are still curious, but they put boundaries around their curiosity. So I one of the things that I am I feel really fortunate, my, my brain is wired to be able to find common ground uh, among different things. Uh, it's just the way my, my brain happens to be wired. I took one of these strength tests in one of the jobs I had, and that was the, the thing that that most differentiated me from your average person, if you will. Uh, and, and I think when people are people are curious about about things, they just don't want to get beyond their comfort level. And it's the same thing about with these student athletes; it's just too risky emotionally for them to do that. And many of them don't have the skills to do it. And one of the things that and one of the reasons is, of course. We, as baby boomers and as gen and Xers, and you know all the folks, haven't trained our kids because we've been the behavior, so naturally the the kids are going to say, "Why, why you know, why do this because I don't know how to do it, and i don't I don't feel supported enough to do it,
0: yeah, um, the, you're right. I think there's a there's a general sense of anxiety when one is confronted about, let's put it in quotes, an issue that they disagree with and and oftentimes, I find myself doing this both professionally and personally if there's an issue that i am sort of in the minority on and i disagree with the with the crowd i lay back i just lay low i should say and 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 find it a much better world for me that moment when i'm not getting into it <laughs> over an issue at yeah, a I, I agree
1: i agree and uh, you know one of the things uh, my mom taught me when i was growing up is as a blind person there're only so many battles you can fight right uh, you know you need you need time to Relax and do things like that, and the same thing applies in this circumstance. I, I don't fight every battle that comes that comes my way. Um, I'm most, more likely than not often just to say yes, yes, and listen, and maybe I'll I'll poke a, a you know just a, you know, a little bit to sort of see where people are at. But I don't spend much of my time you know having these conversations. Um, in fact, uh, when the virus hit, one of the things I discovered that I need to do was back off from media coverage, just just so mm-hmm. I could. Uh, find, find my space and find my inner peace. It was just, there was just too much. And that really has, has, you know influence the way i think about these kinds of things i think it's a we, very we
0: healthy healthy way to approach life in general just just shut down a little bit of that noise and breathe in the fresh air we're talking here with peter altschul and he's written a great series of essays called riding elephants creating common ground where contention rules so there there's so many areas that you focus on you focus on family life and then work life and these are two different platforms but similar issues apply and you also touch on uh, Christianity. Focus in on that. Focus in on where religion holds a, perhaps a key to better relations in a in a, a a topic that often is the cause of more wars than anything else.
1: Well, I, I think it really comes down to um, uh, doing what Jesus did, which is um, be, being respectful where people are at and not where people should be. Uh, and um, showing grace which um, I define, which which I which I had defined as unmerited favor you know undeserved favor undeserved support um, and um, one of the things that that bothers me um, in all the sermons that I that I hear I've heard over the years whether it be in person or on the radio is that they have these terms and don't define them. So they, we we're taught about the importance of being forgiven, but we aren't, re, we aren't really told what, be, what to forgive is or to be at peace. Well, what is peace? When the, when the rubber hits the road, what is peace? And to, to a lesser extent, what is grace? And I think, you know, having those kinds of conversations, because we can't live them if we don't know what they are. Um, and so having those conversations about what those things are and then learning in community to, to be better at those things, I think, really would, would change things uh, for the better uh, in, in an individual level. So um, just very quickly, I define peace as conflicts well-managed. You know, and, and but we hear the word conflict and we freak out. Well, <laughs> conflict, There's conflicts happening around us all the time. And, um, and conflicts most of the time can't be resolved. They can be managed over time. And if you well, if you uh, con- if you manage conflicts well, you're going to have less uh, hostility. You just are, uh, and so you know. And, and then, of course, having uh, having the grace to know who you're serving, um, and and using him as a uh, using him using that Jesus as the role model, hmm. which is really hard to do. But all, all I know is that when I'm in that space, I'm a much better person.
0: Yeah, the, it's interesting you talk about words and their impact. You say the word conflict and people immediately go, I don't want to go there or I want, I'm ready. Let me roll up my sleeves. Um, there's, there's, there are two other words I want to have you discuss with me. One is judgment. And, of course, the word prejudice is prejudgment. And, yeah. and uh, obviously people hear the word prejudice and they, they put up their hands, no, we don't want to go there. But judgment is an important aspect of the human condition. We need to judge. We're constantly judging, hopefully in the right direction. The other word is something that you focused on in the book and in life, and that's work, working through diversity programming. Even the word programming sounds bad. You know, I don't want to be programmed. But uh, that's a word that has taken on meaning for both sides of the political aisle. How do we address the, the word issue and how do you define uh, inclusion and diversity, effective inclusion and diversity?
1: So let's start with judgment. Uh, as you said, um, we all, uh, we, we have to make judgments. Our elephants insist on it. We,
0: hmm. we can't
1: live without judgment. We, we have to be able to do it. Uh, we have to do it, and we do it subconsciously, whether we think we do or not. And so the, in this case, our, our riding elephants are being able to take those judgments on, more toward our conscious level and, do some controlling over it. Um, and that really what, um, and there's a difference between judge, judging and condemning. Uh, and we, you know, we try our best not to condemn, but judging, we have to make those, 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 those things, you know, we have to determine, uh, you know, how we're going to, uh, what we're going to do after dark in certain neighborhoods or, um, going out at all, or, you know, whatever, whatever the situation is. So, so judging is, you know and, and as you said, we don't necessarily want to prejudge because that could be a really um, destructive thing, but we, we we have to do it you know we're, we're wired our elephants are wired to do it. M- my problem with a lot of the diversity and inclusion programs, and i've I've uh, been involved with several of them is and this comes back to the word conflict we we don't do 2 we don't do things well two things well as diversity educators. The first thing is, Every organization that has a diversity program has a mission statement, has a, has a series of goals they want to accomplish. And unless you connect those uh, diversity and inclusion programs or diversity, equity and inclusion programs to those goals and objectives, you're not going to be successful. So I, I spent much of my time at Reuters, especially where I worked, telling um, uh, folks in the diversity group, look, if you're going to work with senior leadership team members, find out what they're business goals are for the year and then link diversity issues to those goals. You know what? It worked. Hmm. It's amazing it, it ama- it's amazing how these things work as long as business uh, the the folks b- being uh, worked with feel they're being heard and that they have, they're understood, you're you're going to have much more success. Right. And the other thing comes back to the word conflict. Diversity is a form in my opinion uh, is a, is a is a form of conflict. How do we as, as people who are In the same place trying to get the same work done with differing values and different perspectives and different but with the same goal sometimes how can we um deal with the conflicts that are inevitably going to emerge and we and too too often in, in diversity and inclusion uh sort of try to get people to avoid conflict no we don't want people to avoid conflict we want people to learn to deal with those conflicts in productive ways i as a blind person want people to know how to work with me productively and, for, and that means doing certain things with me. Um, but you can't do that unless you're willing to have those conversations which can be conflict-causing. Um, uh, and that's the thing that really disturbs me. We, hmm. we, we don't do conflict
0: well. Knowing uh, many blind individuals through the radio shows I've done, I've become friends with them both on and off the air. And I'll just use two examples, both sides of the spectrum. One gentleman is a fascinating guy, very interesting, but very bitter. He's constantly complaining and constantly mad at the world because of the way he's treated, because of, I think, his blindness. And the way he sees, and I'm using that word in quotes, he sees the world coming at him. The other is... An 88-year-old friend of mine who's been blind since birth, as you have been, and he is just happy to be here. Loves the work that he does. He's in the audio recording business, has worked on some of the biggest projects on planet Earth. Totally different approaches. My essay question for you is how much of it is really a choice? I believe it's anyone's choice to wake up in the morning and try to make things better as opposed to tear things down. What do you say? Of course it's
1: a choice. But it's a lot harder. I don't know the folks involved. And by the way, this is not just a blindness issue. This is an issue for every group you can imagine. Of course, you know you fill, fill in the blank and you're going to have these kinds of issues. Uh, it's a lot easier if you're doing work that's fulfilling for you. you know it's it's a lot easier to 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 be happy with the world if you're doing something that you're good at and people reward you for being good at. And I don't you know I don't know the circumstances behind these two individuals. All, all I would say is there, there's a flip side to your your comment. It, it, you know, uh, it, I, I'm I'm sort of tired of, of telling people just be more positive because there's usually often a really good reason for people to be less positive, and sometimes there is a uh, a, a good uh, you know a good cause behind that, like the lack of less positiveness. Sometimes there's a good reason why elephants aren't aren't uh, uh, you know doing what what we wish they would do, um, and. So, I guess that
0: that's my comment, I, I just, I, I no,
1: worry
0: that's, that we- No, that's fair. Yeah, you get what I'm saying. Absolutely, and, and maybe I should, I'll reframe uh, the question to have you discuss it with me and use the word empathy, the understanding. I understand, in the case of the first gentleman, why he feels this way. I can empathize with his situation, knowing his economic situation and his lack of social connection and so forth. But I can also sort of understand the other dude who's sort of got that upbeat look at the world. I, I don't know if that's empathy or at least my curiosity in trying to figure it out. But how important is the empathy, Gene?
1: It, 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 you know, in the business text these days, empathy is becoming more and more a buzzword, which is unfortunate because people hate buzzwords. But, but empathy really is important. The idea of putting yourself in, other, in someone else's shoes and figuring out what makes them tick. And, and there's a difference between, in my opinion, empathy and sympathy. You know, sympathy is sort of this uh, condescending pat on the head. Oh, I understand where, where where you're at. It's terrible, you know, whatever. And there, there's some value in that. But empathy is the idea of, okay, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I get where you're at. How can we work together to make it a little better for both of us? Um, I have a, um, I, I've been going through a, a difficult time over the past, um Year, without going into great details, but it's it's required a friend uh, a friend to sort of walk beside me through this valley, and um, I would not have been successful without him. Mm-hmm. And he often says to me and to people around me that he would not have grown uh, without this experience working with me uh, to deal with these with these issues. So, it, in in an ideal world, empathy really. Uh, it, it involves both people growing, not just the one person who's, who's having a hard time, but the other person growing as well because they're learning, they're developing a, a, a different skill set or, or enhancing their skill set. The other person is, is too uh, because of, of, the, of the support they're, they're, uh, they're being given.
0: I've got two other major topic areas to cover. One is the fact that you are a musician, I believe a percussionist. The first question is, yes, what do you call a drummer that breaks up with his girlfriend?
1: Uh, I don't know. Tell me.
0: Homeless. Uh, <laughs> ah! <laughs> Sorry, Any I couldn't. homeless
1: percussion? But many homeless, many homeless percussionists out there. That's the that's the, the age old kind of <laughs> typical
0: stereotypical joke. But let's focus yeah. on something for a second because you've been in the in the world of music, and I am too, not just as a listener, but as a performer, as a player. I think about this often that mo- knowing music, understanding notes, understanding the language that is universal, has made me uh, uh, more adept. At a lot of things, and I'm not sure about conflict resolution, but there's a, a language that musicians can speak. You can be completely opposed to somebody politically, but if you're sitting in a jam session with somebody, that sort of goes away. What's your take on the music in your life and the music in all of our lives?
1: I agree with that statement, a- and I would say that if if you are have any experience in a, in a musical group, of uh, uh, a rock band or a choir or, or running Rehearsals, you better be a good conflict uh, manager because there are inevitably going to be issues about how are we going to play this and what key we going to play it in and do we like this arrangement or not or who, you know. And so there really there really is um, a a real uh, and if you don't have that skill, you're not going to be successful. You can be the best musician ever, but if you can't work with other people, you're simply not going to make it unless you're like this brilliant piano player or something, you know. But but most of us aren't as that good. Um, so uh, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And the other thing I was uh, I would say is I spend a lot of time these days playing in a jazz trio, and even though we're not talking, I'm listening to especially what the bass player is doing, and I am jiggering my player playing to what he's doing and trying to mesh with him. And, it, you know, that's sort of what communication is, isn't it? That's sort of what riding an elephant is, if you will. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, is, is, is figure okay, he's doing this, how can I compliment that or repeat it or mm. do something that 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 makes it more musical. I love and that. That really is what yeah. Yeah, that really is what being a musician is in many ways.
0: And that segues beautifully into the the chapters on dogs and dogs mean a lot to you and to everyone who has a dog. I don't have a dog and I love them. I mean, I really do. I'm everybody else's uh, favorite dog owner, but um this is a, another example of of obviously not verbal communication as you and I are practicing it, but a certain connection that is uh, above and beyond. And you've had how many, seven or so? Yeah, I just got my
1: seventh last December. He's doing great.
0: Talk a little bit uh, about what that's taught you in terms of the work you do to help humans.
1: Well, first of all, dogs are just plain fun. You know, I, I've, I was, I've always lived around dogs, and I, I, couldn't, I, I wouldn't be the person I am without the dogs in my life. Um, I know that sounds totally corny, but it happens to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, so my life has sort of been around the following path. I spend seven or eight years living my life in whatever way I'm living it at the time. And then I go uh, to get a new dog and uh, at, a, at a school that specially trains dogs and people to work together. And it, what I find is I have to relearn certain things over again. And I need a certain level of support that Mm. the school provides in a really incredible way. And then I come home and and, uh, sort of learn, take those lessons and build on them. And within six months, we have a really good relationship. And that lasts for, uh, if you're lucky, seven or eight years. Then you have to repeat the process. Mm. And so, um, you know, uh, talk about conflict. You're, you're, you know, in these, in these programs, you're with people with all different backgrounds and experiences and values, and you got to learn to live together. But notice, that we all have the same goal, which is to be successful dog handlers. It's amazing what having that goal uh, does with with managing conflicts. It makes it a lot easier. So uh, I could say a lot about that. But but um, the, the, you know the, the, these dogs are are not only are they amazing creatures. You know they they are trained to do amazing things, but they're just they're just they're just wonderful companions. And uh, I write about in the book how. Um, and all the work I did getting people of diverse backgrounds to work together towards accomplishing something, we would be in the heat of the moment and people would come to me in a break and say something like your dog is so relaxed. <laughs> if, if they could be relaxed, I can be relaxed. You know, if, if my, if my dog could steal a roll of out of a garbage can after lunch, uh, you know, uh, and they're that will actually able to do that. Then I, sh- then I can do that too. You know, it it really it, it's a, it's amazing what dogs how what dogs can model. Yes, and yes, my dog take did take a roll out of a garbage can after lunch. It was <laughs> one of the more embarrassing well, moments of my professional life.
0: I think role modeling, not to play off the word you just use, role modeling the dogs in our yeah. lives, uh, we, it can go a long way. Final point, uh, by the way, the the book is terrific, and in, in that you can look at it and pick it up and read an essay or two put it down, pick it up again, share it with your neighbors, friends, co-workers. It's, uh, it's very sweet in that regard. Um, I just wanted to mention the, the final point I'd like to make is none of us are two-dimensional. We are three and four and five-dimensional creatures. What really drives me bananas is when people buttonhole or pigeonhole, whatever the word is, somebody into a particular slot because they Agree or disagree on a particular issue. One issue does not a person make.
1: I strongly agree, uh, and we, uh, to put it a slightly different way, we all belong to different tribes, if you will. You know, uh, based on our interests, based on uh, you know who, who who we interact with, and so on and so forth. And it, it's the totality that, that makes us unique as individuals. And I'll just say this: uh, we we talked a little bit about the abortion uh, thing earlier. One of the one of the projects I did was to encourage, as I said, to encourage pro life and pro choice activists to find things they could work together on that were that were that were abortion related, even though they disagreed they disagreed on the, mora- the morality, if you will, of abortion. And the first thing we did when we got when we found a pro life and pro choice activist is say to them, okay, get together over a cup of coffee, over a meal, and get to know each other, but don't talk about abortion. Mm. You know, find out, find out who you are. And when I, uh, I ran a similar program uh, when we are having a, a contentious organization and we, I ran a, a, a mentoring program, don't talk about the conflicts right now. Just get to know who you, who you are. Find out where those common ground things are. You know, find out, you know, uh, you know about each other's lives. And once you have that foundation, then you, then you can steer towards talking about the contentious issues. But if we don't take the time to do that, building that foundation, of, of trust and, and find out what those common ground things are, it's going to be a lot harder to have those kinds of conversations.
0: If you had success, then you've hit on something that more of us should consider, more of us in the talk radio game should consider, as a matter of fact, because uh, it's, it's sort of the unwritten rule when you're in political talk radio, and I've done that. Third rail is abortion. I mean, it's just impossible. Yeah because people are so ginned up on both sides, rightfully so. I mean, it's a very uh, emotional issue and a very moral-based issue as well. So uh, I give you credit for, for that. I said it earlier, you're a man of patience. You put up with me. <laughs> well, you put up with me too, so. <laughs> Peter, what's the best way for people to access the book, find out more about you? I'll let you give the URL if you want.
1: Sure. Uh, probably the easiest way to find the book uh, is to go to Amazon mm-hmm. and look under Altshul, which is my last name A L T S C H U L. If you type in Altshul and Riding elephants, you'll find the book. Uh, if you want to go to my website, uh, which has lots of information about me and my music and other things, go to D L D Books. That's David Leonor David Books. dot com, and in the uh, search bar, type in my name, and you'll find it. Uh, It's sort of a weird web address, and uh, I don't want to uh, make it complicated for people, but if you want to get the book and my other books, they're all on Amazon, go uh, go to Amazon, type in my last name, A-L-T-S-C-H-U-L, and then type in uh, uh, Writing Elephants, and you'll find that book and my other books as well.
0: You had me at elephants. That's all I can say, Peter. You had me at the elephants. I'm a (laughs) huge... My wife knows this. Everybody I know... Who knows anything about me knows that I'm a big fan and uh, I, I collect little baby elephant to statues and stuff. it's It's really one of my passions. Thank you so much. Uh, even if if we were to find room to disagree and we we probably would, uh, I feel very comfortable chatting with a guy like you and getting to know you. So thanks for sharing with me and my audience. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks again to Peter Altschul, riding elephants, creating common ground where contention rules. Check it out online. His name is Peter and the last name Altschul, A-L-T-S-C-H-U-L. Thanks as always to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media to Chart Productions, where we produce this and many other podcasts, audiobooks, commercials, etc. Find out more about all of this at jordanrich.com. And as always, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for joining me on this podcast journey, now in well over 100 countries in every U.S. state. Till next time, this is Jordan as always saying, be well so you can do some good. Take care.